Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to the debut of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki from TSN 1290 in Winnipeg, and I am jacked. Listen, let's get right into it here. I don't want to waste any time. Today's show is a banger. It's jam-packed. But anyways, what is Skating Plates all about? We're going to talk a ton of Jets, a ton of Jets. Obviously, it's a Jets podcast. But we'll get into the stories that you guys want to hear. So feel free to follow me and give me a shout on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki. Yes, my name is a nightmare. Yes, I'll spell it out for you here one time only. R-E-W-U-C-K-I. And whatever you guys want to talk about, that's what we're going to focus on. That is the main criteria of what you're going to hear when it comes to the hockey part of Skates and Plates. I'm also going to start us out with a state of the franchise. I kind of feel like I had to say that like Ron Burgundy with the seashell and Anchorman. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it worked. Um, we'll get into that in a sec. Plus a legend in the Winnipeg sports scene and teammate of mine at TSN 1290, Andrew Hustler Patterson is going to stop by and help kick that bad boy off. So that convo is about 10 minutes away. I, I know like a lot of you, you miss hearing Huss on the radio. We've got some positive news about, about Huss and he's going to share that in a little bit, but it was just great to have him on. Great to talk to him again. But allow me for a brief moment here to touch on the plates portion of the podcast because the other big passion that I have to go along with hockey and to go along talking about the Winnipeg Jets with you guys is food. I mean, I'm in the kitchen cooking every single day. If you've ever seen my thighs or my ripped jeans in person, you know that I eat like a damn madman too. I basically only watch the Food Network and TSN. So it's those two channels. If there's some kind of weird package out there that would probably help my TV bill, Guys, grocery games, beat Bobby Flay, like all that stuff's my jam. So we'll have some fun talking and, and sharing recipes and and getting into stupid food debates about whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich and, and other crap like that. But on a serious note, I do want to mention this quick. We have an unbelievable food scene here in Winnipeg and, and in Manitoba. It's It really is really strong. But with the pandemic going on, a lot of these places are struggling right now. And it just totally sucks because they're full of wonderful people who pretty much just want to give back to the community. So it's, it's really important to me that we shine a light on the great things and the great food that they give us here in the prairies. So once a week on Friday, we'll talk with a restaurant, you know, a restaurant owner, a shop, a person, whatever it is in the local food scene here and highlight what they're doing. I want to give them a platform 
and hopefully we can help them out a little bit during some struggling times. And our first food guest actually has an absolutely fascinating connection with the Winnipeg Jets. So we'll set that up. Just make sure to tune in for that at the end of the episode. We'll help tease that up. That's going to air this Friday. But back to the Jets. I told you we'd get into it. Before we get to Huss, I'm going to mention a little project that will run until the season kicks off, whatever that is. And we'll get into that right now. It is the state of the franchise. And and quite simply, look, I love rankings. I think a lot of other people do. It's fun to see where I and where you guys think the Winnipeg Jets are going to end up this season. So before we get into the actual team rankings, we'll make playoff predictions, all that stuff. We're going to dive into category by category where the Jets stack up across the NHL. So we'll start. I mean, we'll go forwards. We'll go defense. Goalie might be a quick one in a positive way here in Winnipeg. Well, we'll probably have to do a whole week on the coach and the GM, to be honest. But we'll start here with what's up front, because I think for me, when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets, that's where the intrigue lies. That's where the storylines are. So how did I come up with my rankings? Well, it, I mean, it's pretty simple. All it is, is which forward core would you most want to start the season? That's it. Future, cap, it's age. It's irrelevant in this specific situation. It's all about the here and now. If you could pick one group of forwards in the NHL to go through this season, to go through a playoff run, who are you going with? And I got some good news and bad news on that front. Should we start with the good news first? The good news is the Jets are top 10. I think the Jets have a top 10 forward group in the NHL. So that's positive. And if you're listening, you might say, well, Brandon, you're an idiot, which is correct. But why is why is that bad news? Where is the bad news? And it's not it's not the sky is falling bad news. But if you look back two years ago, this was a no doubt about a top five group. And, and I think you could make the case very easily that they were in the top three just a couple of seasons ago. So I don't think they've necessarily regressed as much as maybe they've plateaued and we've seen some other teams step up ahead of them. So I'm going to just give you my top 10 team rankings across the NHL here. I'm going to tweet out my entire list. So make sure you check that out at Brandon underscore Wiki, and we'll we'll break that down a little bit in Friday's episode. And I want to know what you guys think. Let me know where you have the Jets ranked across the NHL. We'll see. We'll, we'll kind of compile the listeners average ranking and maybe just a brief explanation of why you think they are where they are. Uh, but if we're looking strictly at the top 10 here, for me, the top three is real simple. Tampa Bay, Colorado, Boston. Earmuffs, especially North End Rick. I know you're going to love this, but number four for me is the Toronto Maple Leafs. They might have the best one-two center punch in the NHL with Matthews and Tavares. And then there's a, a grouping of teams out there in the Metro that I, I really like what they have up front. Carolina, Philly, Pittsburgh. Then we get into the intriguing part of this. Edmonton, Winnipeg, Washington, Vancouver. A couple Canadian teams mixed in there as well. I can't put the Jets ahead of Edmonton just yet. And I guess the main thing is, I think Winnipeg has a better bottom six than Edmonton does. They're both electric top sixes. But if you ask me to pick between one or the other, I think McDavid, Dreisaitl, top Shifley, Stasny. So I'll go with Edmonton in that eighth spot just ahead of Winnipeg. But I will put Winnipeg ahead of Washington. And Vancouver as well. I think I think Winnipeg's I think I like Winnipeg's top and bottom six better than what the Canucks have. And I'll give the Jets the edge over the Caps. I don't know. I don't like the Caps. I really don't like them all that much. Maybe it's the orange and black in me. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm a diehard Flyers fan, so maybe I'm just pushing them to the wayside, whatever. I don't really care that much. It's not a Caps podcast. So we'll go with the Jets at number nine. Now I mentioned three players quickly that I think are going to define the Winnipeg Jets this season. Two are obvious, one maybe not so much, but 
I think it's an underrated storyline, at least going into this season and next season as well. I'll explain that a little bit later. But the first and, and maybe the most important Winnipeg Jet up front, it has to be Mark Shifley. And I wonder what the consensus is here in Winnipeg about Mark Shifley and about his play the last, let's just say, two seasons. And it's not that he's been bad, right? Like, that's the good thing about Mark Shifley is that his floor right now is a point-per-game number one centerman. Those are extremely hard to find, and there's about a dozen teams probably in the NHL that would kill to have a guy like Mark Shifley on their team. The difficult part for me is that there's also, I think, at least a dozen teams that have a guy that's better than Mark Shifley right now. Mark Shifley produces at roughly a little bit over a point a game, about 10th, 11th in points per game this season. He's not all that far ahead of guys like Sebastian Ajo, Sean Couturier, Ryan O'Reilly, even Elias Pedersen, Matt Barzell as well. But those guys are all vastly better in their own zone than Mark Shifley. And they're doing it with a lot less time on ice as well. So I guess that's the issue, right? Like, is Are, are we expecting Mark Shifley to be as inefficient and as poor defensively as he's been this past few seasons? Or can we get the guy back that in that run to the West Final was one of the best players in the NHL that season? That that was a top five centerman, right? Like that was, holy crap, we got a superstar on our hands and away we go here. Maybe start the Jersey retirement ceremony. And it's just been, we just haven't seen Mark get back to that point. And I'm, I'm hoping we do. We're going to talk with Huss a little bit more and dive into maybe some of the scenarios, some of the reasons why Mark Shifley hasn't ascended into that upper echelon of top five sentiment in the NHL. The other one, and this might come to no surprise to all of you guys, but Patrick Liney to me is, is number two of the three Jets forwards that I think carry the most weight going into this season. We have to talk about the trade stuff, unfortunately. Well, you know what? I don't think we do, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that. Everybody, I think, at this point is entrenched in their opinion. You're not going to change anyone's mind. Either you want to trade Patrick Liney, you're done with him. You don't think he's a 40-50 goal scorer. You don't think he's going to get better defensively. Or you're in the opposite camp. And and to be honest, it's kind of where I sit a little bit, where it's it's almost impossible to find a unicorn like that, a big forward that's going to score 50, that can score from any spot on the ice, essentially. Those guys are tough to replace, and it's tough to win a trade like that. But a lot of the stuff I do hear, and that we hear with Jim Toth and Troy Westwood on the big show on TSN here in Winnipeg, is that this whole trade talk is a bunch of crap. I get the hesitancy to believe it, to throw the fake news tab, to say that it's just, you know, clickbait, fear-mongering, all that stuff. But let me play this clip when TSN's Frank Saravalli joined us. He's the one who's been on this since the beginning. I just want you guys to hear this, just to get a sense of, of where things are at right now. Frank gave a really interesting response and was asked, would you be surprised if Patrick Lightning was traded this year? Give it a listen. No, I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. at all. Like I said before, I think the Jets have made up their mind in terms of what they want to do. Now it's just a matter of trying to pull it off, and can they do it? Keeping we'll Jets Nation on edge, right there. Yeah. yeah. No, but that's. I'm inter- not trying to. I just like it, that's uh, that's what I believe they'd like to do. They just mm-hmm. haven't found the right deal yet. And that's what I, I we should emphasize, Frank. We get what you're trying to do, but we hear that all the time. Well, it's not happening because it's taking this long, but it is still what they're looking to do. You feel? I do believe that. Yes, I, I think that they'd like to 
figure that situation out and, and solve it. And, and of course, with Line's camp being a little bit more involved as the offseason dragged on, I think there was a, a realization or um, recognition from both sides that that would probably be the best fit moving forward would be to find a new home. But, um, you know, clearly that hasn't happened yet. And clearly being such a special player, the Jets know that they can't just, you know, pull the trigger on anything that comes along. It needs to be the right deal. And that's what makes it so delicate is the lack of cap space and situations for every other team. They know that if they're trading for Patrick Line, they better have eight, nine, ten million dollars in space for the following season in order to sign him. So that that was really surprising to me. I thought this thing was done and over with until next offseason. But boy, oh boy, the possibility that this thing might potentially happen at some point in the next month or two, I I can't even imagine that. Now, I'll, I'll give you guys a bit of a different twist on this whole thing. Because, like I mentioned, diehard Flyers fan here, unfortunately, of course. But the Flyers were the team that was arguably the most interested in Patrick Liney. So I want to give you guys the perspective of what it's like to be a fan of a team that could be acquiring Patrick Liney in a trade because the Flyers were arguably the front runner and depending on who you hear certain things from things got really really close to a deal what those parts were I'm not exactly sure but I have gotten a sense of some of the names that are likely to be involved if a trade was to happen sometime whether it's this season or maybe next season so I, I want to know what you guys think let me know again on Twitter at Brandon underscore wiki if you would have been down with this trade, if it went down with the Philadelphia Flyers, if this was the return for the Winnipeg Jets. I think Ivan Provorov is going to be an untouchable. If if he is involved, it's going to be a massive, massive trade. I just can't see Chuck Fletcher, though, giving up a guy like that because, to me, it's easier to find a high-scoring winger than it is to find a number one defenseman. So that leaves two guys on the team that are on the second pair, two promising youngsters, Travis Sanheim, Philippe Myers, in my opinion, now that Matt Niskanen is gone, it's going to be Travis Sanheim that would be the one potentially dealt in this deal. I don't think Shane Goss is bears enough to get it done. I think that's obvious. So up front, at that point, you need a lot more to sweeten the package. So maybe you go about replacing Patrick Liney in a way with, you know, not a younger version of him, but another, again, a young and up-and-coming winger to fill into the Winnipeg Jets' top six. And to me, that guy is Joel Farabee. 19-year-old, basically full-time NHLer last year. I mean, the numbers weren't earth-shattering, but he was, I mean, he's a he's a little dude. He's going to be a lot, lot better as he gets older here. Maybe not all-star, maybe not Kyle Connor, Nick Ehlers level. I, d- I don't know if that's fair for him. He could get there. But I think you're looking at a low-end first-liner, high-end second-liner, in my opinion. And then you have to throw in the first-round pick as well because that's what we do when superstars are traded. I would love to know what you guys think about that. If that was the deal, that would go down. Patrick Laine for Travis Sanheim, Joel Farabee, and a first-round pick, and, and maybe some salary is, is worked around each and either way. I mean, that part has to be figured out with a flat cap and everything. Uh, but that, that was the, the, the Philly perspective. Was A lot of people were excited to have the potential to have a guy like Patrick Laine on the team. But at the same time, it's like, well, we don't want to give up any of our super high-end assets either just to make that happen. So just just something to chew on there. And the third guy, look, he's not the third best forward on the team. He's not 
even necessarily the third most important forward on the team, but I wanted to to go a bit of a different way here and touch on Adam Lowry for me, who is an upcoming UFA, by the way. And on top of that, his old man, Dave's coming into coach, which I think that's so awesome for him. At least I, I mentioned this earlier. If my dad, if my dad coached me in the NHL, it's trade time. It's trade talk. Chevy, I want out. I can't do this. It's not happening. I already I dealt with that as a 10-year-old. It's not going to happen as a 28-year-old. Uh, but, and I'm kidding, obviously. But And the reason why I bring up Adam Lowry as a name of intrigue is just that the bottom six was a big issue last season. And I think it's something that can be a strength for the team this year. I think it's something that if the right pieces are put into the right areas, I can envision the Winnipeg Jets maybe having a top-five forward court by the end of this season. I'm I'm that high on the team. But in my opinion, it starts with Adam Lowry as your fourth-line center going into this season. I think Andrew Kopp is primed and ready to go as the third-line center. I think he's got more offensive upside than Adam Lowry, and I think he's proven that with his production at this point. And you're not going to lose anything defensively. I I mean, Kopp's a great defensive center, and I I think there's a mixture of of wingers that you can put with Kopp that will give you that offensive punch that this team was missing when the top two lines weren't clicking last year. And I don't, this isn't a slight to me at Adam Lowry at all. And I've made this comparison a ton of times. But to me, Adam Lowry should be the Winnipeg Jets' Brian Boyle. Brian Boyle, I mean, look, Brian Boyle was traded for first-round picks, I believe, at multiple trade deadlines, for sure, for sure one. He, a guy that teams would covet every year to go in deep playoff runs. But he wasn't asked to do too much, right? Like, he was put in, we're going to put you on the fourth line. You're going to be an absolute demon. You're going to destroy the opposing team's defense. You're going to be an absolute nightmare for the forwards that have to deal with you on the four check. And we're going to give you 10 minutes a night. I think that's a really big role on a contending team. And I think Adam Lowry's perfect for that. So we'll dive into a couple more players. You know, some of the higher end ones, the Connors, the Ealers, Cole Perfetti, by the way, early prediction. Don't be shocked if the kid makes the team this year. We'll dive into the rest of the forwards individually on Friday's show. We'll talk a little bit, too, about some of the prospects. I know a lot of people excited about Gustafson, about Veselin, and we'll touch on some of those guys and maybe how far away they might be from the NHL. But without further ado, an absolute Winnipeg legend to talk some Jets here. The one, the only, Andrew Hustler-Patterson. Huss, how's it going, man? B, going pretty well. Um, I mean, like everyone, 2020 has not been a banner year, myself included, but uh, feeling pretty good. Looking forward to getting back at it with the gang down there at TSN 1290. And uh, certainly, certainly looking forward to and very hopeful that we're going to get some NHL hockey in the near future as to when that is. Uh, I don't think anyone, even the commissioners. <laughs> well, let me just start off first, Huss, and, and I'm going to speak on behalf of all Winnipeggers, Manitobans here, but... Damn, it feels good to hear your voice again. It's been way too long, and it's 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 kind of like pumpkin spice in the fall. Like it just feels right here, and you back on the radio. So that's great, first and foremost. I appreciate that a lot. And you know, I mean, Jets fans, TSN twelve ninety listeners, just people from social media. It's been uh, man, it was it was awesome to hear so many people just reaching out with support over everything. And um, now I think I'm uh, coming closer, not necessarily the finish line of getting back to where I'd like to yeah. be, but at least able to uh, 
come. I mean, luckily, I mean, obviously, I think people that listen to our station know, I mean, uh, it is a labor of love, and luckily I'm not digging ditches, so uh, <laughs> I should be able to get back to work maybe sooner if I was in another occupation. But uh, certainly coming in at a, at a good time. I mean, we've got a lot of intrigue about what's happening off the ice with the league and with the virus, and then bringing it closer to home after... I mean, one of the more bizarre years that any NHL team will go through, uh, which is what the Winnipeg Jets had uh, last season, right from the day one of training camp. Um, a really intriguing season, I think, for uh, the Winnipeg Jets, whatever it's going to look like coming out, uh, because there's so many questions about you know where the team moves on from last season, bringing in some younger players, and you know can a team that has a lot of talent overall raise their level of play and get closer to being that Stanley Cup contender they were a couple seasons ago. Yeah, so you touched on maybe the interesting point here because we kicked off our State of the Franchise series earlier with a look at the forwards specifically and where the Jets rank across the NHL. And, and maybe talented is the best word to describe Winnipeg as a whole, right? But especially up front. And we don't have to get bogged down with who ranks where and all that, but I found it interesting that it felt like me, to me for the first time in a long time, I had to make a case for the Jets to be in the top 10 when it came to their forward core. Like, it wasn't the slam dunk that it was, like you touched on two years ago. Does that sound about right, or am I being maybe too hard on the Jets? Um, I mean, not. I don't think so. I mean, I think that we're all, look, look listen, individually, you break down, I mean, that big five up front of, you know, Shifley, Wheeler, Line A, Connor, and Nikolai Ehlers. And, you know, I think individually you can put that group up against, you know, the majority of teams in the National Hockey League. But, um, you know, I think we've all had questions at times as to, um, you know, what both of those units and those top lines are able to do in a full 200-foot game. And it's great to it's great to score a couple points at night you know, in a game, but... You know, if you're um, if you're giving up three, it's not helping you win games as much. And listen, that group especially, I mean, had so much uh, on them because I mean, we've talked a lot about. I mean, God, the issues with the Jets' defense was were um, you know diagnosed around the league. Yeah. Thankfully, that's I a mean, next week problem. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but it puts a lot of pressure on those guys up front. But at the same time, I mean, if you think, think we go I and mean, let's just talk about the Jets' top line. And, I mean, as it is with Maurice at the end of the season, it was LaConnor, Shifley, and Blake Wheeler. I mean, all of these guys, incredibly talented, will put up points. But if you break down the performance of that line, really dating back to the midway point of this previous season, um, you know, there was a lot of ups and downs. Listen, they're going to end up on the highlight reels. They're going to have some nice goals, and they'll get people out of the seats. But I really do think that that, group especially with the amount of ice time that they get how hard Paul Maurice leans on them um you know maybe to take you know another step as far as controlling the game a little bit more chasing the game a little bit less and listen I mean I'd be interested to get your thoughts on that because certainly if you have a young inexperienced defense that has effects on all aspects and maybe it's not entirely fair to say that you know that group really needs to step up and do a little bit more and control games more. But, you know, honestly, if you're getting 22, 23, 24 minutes a night and you're playing the majority of the power play, I mean, you really do have to produce, but also make a point of, you know, being able to continue to raise your game in your own end. And I think you can pretty much look around the Winnipeg Jets roster from last season and realize that, 
you know, that was something that they really did need to do more, albeit they were sort of behind the eight ball at game one of the regular season, considering what had happened on the blue line. A hundred percent, Huss. And, and that's really the big bugaboo, isn't it? When it comes to specifically that top six, maybe the top line in particular, is that what is going to change when it comes to play inside their own zone? And Mark Shifley, for example, I mean, you remember that that infamous end-of-the-year presser after the loss to the Blues, correct? Where it, it looked like somebody kicked his dog. Like, Mark Shifley looked despondent there. And I'm like, holy crap, he's going to come back and we're going to get an all-time year from Mark Shifley. And it, and it didn't happen. And I, I just wonder what you think about that. It didn't, and Trifley's a fascinating study and a fascinating case because from day one we have heard that, you know, he's been, you know, and he is, I mean, a hockey nerd, and he spends all his time trying to get better and doing all those things, all the things that can make him an elite, um, an elite superstar in the National Hockey League, and a bunch of the pieces of that are, are absolutely there. I mean, there's no denying it. But I will say this, for someone that has so much incredible talent and apparently has that will to get better 24-7-365. I have to admit, at this point in his career, I'm surprised that he's not maybe a little more reliable defensively. I'm surprised he's not better in the face-off circle. Um, I, I'm surprised that there hasn't been a few of those things that you know I think are holding him back from being in the conversation with the, the, the super elite tier of centers in the league. Um, because honestly, if you look at teams that win cups and you look at teams that, you know, are, are, are winning at that level, if you are putting the best teams, if you're playing guys like that in those situations as much, um, you know, you need a little bit more in things that maybe don't directly correlate to opening up the newsprint and seeing who the top scoring leaders in the NHL are. And I think Blake Wheeler, you know, adds a lot to that line. And as long as he's playing with Shifley, I think that's a big reason why, Maurice likes to have him in that situation. But, I mean, to me, outside of Connor Hellebuck, I don't think there's any doubt that Mark Shifley is the guy that, um, you know, will have the biggest impact on wins and losses and the success of the Winnipeg Jets overall. And, I mean, just on that, anytime someone brings up that bit at the, you know, the presser at the end of the year mm-hmm. and the way things ended against St. Louis, I. I mean, I, I hope someone at one point, you know, an insider that, you know, really knows what happened, writes a book on that season for the Winnipeg Jets. Because when you think about where they were the year before, the first half of the season, and then what happened that second half of the year where it seemed like everyone was just sort of waiting for the playoffs to get going, um, it went sour. It went south fast. We can talk about strange, you know, the reacquisition of Matt Hendricks to get things going. I mean, I it just it wasn't right. And, um, it's probably unfair. I mean, it is unfair to say, well, it all starts with a guy like Mark Scheifele. I mean, you've got a captain, you've got a head coach, you've got a lot of other guys. But if your most important forward up there is in a funk or is in a bad place, it affects a lot of other things. And I don't know anyone that follows that team on a, on a daily basis that couldn't look back and say, well, we probably don't know what the answers are, but there's huge, huge questions about what happened with that club. I will say this. Um, you know, obviously it really sucked when he got injured so early into that Calgary series. And, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, I think, you know, that series sort of ended five minutes in. Um, but I was, as an observer of the team and a fan of the team and someone that wants him to do well and knows how important Shifley is, I did have a lot of optimism hearing him talk at the end of the season 
um, this year about what he'd been through, his level of you know excitement to get back out there and go forward because um, I don't think there's any doubt that as good as he is, there is more to give. And it might not be for personal accolades, but I think that, you know, if there's a few things that improve with Shifley in particular, um, we're talking about, um, a, a, you know, a team that, you know, can get back to where we were before. And then, of course, the other thing, Brandon, is mm-hmm. we've got to talk about Paul Stastny coming in. Yeah. Think about, I mean, that to me, part of the reason, and, you know, people can give Maurice heat for just leaning on those guys so much until they were dead and, and always going to that top line. But a big reason was we never had a second line that was clicking um, since Paul Stastny left. And listen, it's one thing you want to get your guys out there and you want to feel what they play. But if you need a goal and you know you have a much better chance of doing it with 81, 55, and 26, you're going to roll them out there. So to me, getting Stastny back in the mix and having him playing, you know, ostensibly right now, let's just assume with Line A and Ehlers, um, you know, it, it's huge because I think then you have a second line that rolls out in more advantage, advantageous situations, and that's a good thing for Lion and Ehlers. Um, you know, it, it, it's not a bad thing if they're successful and they play a lot, but if you don't have a center in that thing and you're not getting, you know, what you can get out of Ehlers and Line, um, that's an issue, and that's sort of where they were last season. And I'm really hopeful and optimistic that, you know, Paul Stastny in a contract year, in a shorter year, come out with a ton to play for, maybe re, uh, reignite a little bit of the magic that, that, guy, that those guys had together during his short first stint in Winnipeg, and that would be massive for the Winnipeg Jets, and I think it would take a lot of the load off, the, you know, the, the very significant load that we've talked about that's been put on the top line for Maurice over the past season. Dude, I, I think a lot of people in this province are completely underestimating the Stasi acquisition. I, I don't really know why, to be honest. Maybe it's because the price was... So little because of him being a cap casualty, but I think it's going to go down as we move through this season as one of the more under-the-radar acquisitions that any team made in the NHL this year. I, yeah, I wonder why we're not talking about it as much. I, I, I totally agree. And you know what? I mean, going back to what we talked before about, you know, the ruffled feathers and the things that were happening outside of what we and anyone would, that's not part of the team would see, Paul Stastny is a veteran a respected player. This guy is a pro. And um, he's got a lot left in the tank. As you mentioned, he was awesome in the playoffs. Vegas didn't want to get rid of him, but, I mean, they put themselves in a situation where they had to do that. Yeah, they, they um, gave the bag to Shea Theodore. They didn't have a chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, don't forget Pietrangelo coming in after that. You know, you got the, the whole... Oh, Pietrangelo, sorry. That whole, that whole situation... Um, you know, with Vegas' cap, I mean, hey, good problems to have, right? Everyone wants to go there and you're going to do that. But, I mean, there were going to be some people that, you know, were able to make deals that they would never normally do. And Kevin Shevelyev jumped on that, and I give him a lot of credit for it. Um, you know, I, I'm, I think that this is an effect you can have directly on the second line on the ice. Um, you know, it'll give them their opportunity to maybe switch things around. If they want to move lining up to the top line, if... That can work with Shifley, I guess we'll see. I mean, certainly I don't think Blake Wheeler would have any issues of playing with Stastny. Uh, They're very close. But to me, um, there is an intangible bonus of getting Paul Stastny into that room, a new voice that wasn't there last year, that's had some experience with this group when they've had a lot of success and try and get back to that point. And, um, you know, and Maurice will be the first one to tell you. I mean, you know, that chemistry and the, the group, that's why Potato was here last year. I mean, it wasn't 
wasn't to play as much as he did. It was to be that guy. And I don't think Stasny will be that big raw raw dude that we've you know that we're talking like a potato. But I'll tell you what, that veteran calming influence and a guy that can go out and take a lot of responsibility for the head coach makes a big, big difference in addition to hopefully finally solving that hole in the top six that they just simply didn't have, which was a legit second-line center to help get the most out of uber-talented players like Ehlers and Patrick Kleinick. You're listening to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Brandon Rewicki speaking with TSN 1290's Andrew Hustler-Patterson. Hus, do you do you even want to talk about Liney? I've always got time for Liney. Yeah. I'm glad all the ridiculous trade rumors seem to be done, um, and I get why a lot of those were coming out. I mean, hey, we're in the business. I mean, it certainly gets people talking, it gets people listening, and when Drager and Frank Saravelli and whatnot are throwing out, you know, all of these potential trades, I mean, that is going to dominate uh, our, our, our airwaves, but. I mean, I said from the get-go, uh, making a trade like that at this point is is crazy. Um, and to be honest with you, for someone, for a general manager that has been as conservative and sticking to the plan as Kevin Sheveldayoff, to be honest, it would be absolutely out of character for him and this organization to move on, unless there's something that we don't know about yeah. that you know that has to do it. And, and unfortunately, that my spidey senses got tingling. Just the fact that that had so much. Um, and listen, I, I, I don't doubt for a second that Dregs and Saravelli were right, that the Winnipeg Jets were having those conversations. And, you know, maybe it's just to really evaluate. We know what their situation is. They've got amazing forwards up front. They have major needs on the blue line. Um, potential contract issues down the way, and that's something you always have to think about. Um, but it just didn't really make sense. And, you know, it didn't go over well with fans. Obviously, here in Winnipeg, he's incredibly popular. And, He's 22 years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't really get up. Like, here's the thing. The risk involved for Sheveldayoff to trade a player like Line with what he's done at this point in career, in his career, could not be. Like, there is not a riskier move you could make as a general manager. Yeah, it's a jawbreaker. Listen, you can be tight with the owner and you can have the greatest relationship with the organization. But at the end of the day, if you trade an asset like Patrick Line and that deal goes flat, that's the sort of thing that gets general managers fired, even in the most successful situations in the league. So um, to me, it would be out of character. It doesn't make sense for the franchise. And listen, I, I get the need to go, and you want to get that big stud defenseman. And mm-hmm. hey, listen, I'm not saying that he is, I don't think anyone truly is untouchable um, on this team, but we're talking about what's available, how it's going to work. It doesn't make sense. And uh, listen, the best case scenario for the Winnipeg Jets is to not make a deal like that, is to hopefully bring in a guy like Paul Stassi on a low cost, and it takes Line to the next level. And certainly for Line, um, you know, he's going to be wanting to cash that big contract that he feels that he deserves. And the best way to do that is to go out and, uh, and kick ass for every yeah. game this season and going forward. I mean, is he going to be here in Winnipeg for his entire career? Who the heck knows? In today's age, when you have this much talent all around the same age, there's difficult decisions at some point. But to me, this decision does not have to be made right now. It shouldn't be made right now. And they need to stick with Shovel Dayoff's plan from the get-go to try to take these guys into their prime and see what this Jet roster is capable of. And 
listen, there's other things as we've talked about, you know, settling out, you know, getting a little bit more, you know, effective players in the bottom six, sure. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, steadying the defense and getting a little bit more reliable, you know, players that you can get in that second and third pairing. Um, but when it comes to Patrick Line, I mean, this guy is, um, you know, a special, special player. And if you're going to move a guy, you better be damn sure you're getting the better of the trade and it makes your team better both now and in the future because it's not like this is a trade deadline and you're 20 points up and it's win now or else. Yeah, or it's your fantasy hockey league and, you know, you got 200 bucks on the line and, yeah, I'm going to roll the dice on this move, right? Like, you touched on that. Job, a job is on the line and, and arguably your reputation as well for Kevin Chevaldeoff. You will be known as the guy, whether good or bad, that, that traded Patrick Liney ultimately. So I can understand I can understand the hesitancy and, and we'll see if that happens this season, next season, anytime moving forward. But I really wanted to get your take on, I guess it's a theory I have, and you could tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong. Um, but it has to do, I, I guess, in a way with Liney and, and maybe more specifically Kyle Connor. Does it feel to you when it comes to the Jets fan base, like you're either Team Connor or you're Team Liney, like there's no in between? Like you can't you can't enjoy either one of them. I I know you're a big Twilight fan, Hus. It, it's like back in the day, you're either Team Edward or you're Team Jacob. <laughs> I can't believe I actually do know what you're talking. I know. About that effort, <laughs> which is, uh, it's a very interesting point, and I guess you know we need to we need the first thing I'll say on that because you know you could easily make that. Uh, assumption from things that you read, but I think most of that is on social media with a very, a, a small group of, of the overall fan base. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing I've learned over the last few years is social media has exploded and I'm a big proponent of it. I'm on it all the time. I love communicating with fans in that way, but I think like there's so many things in life where it's important not to just read your Twitter feed and think that's what everyone is thinking. Um, because I think the average fan, like the people that I see in the stands at the games, love both of those yeah. guys and want them to be successful. And, you know, it's crazy to think they're playing against each other. Unfortunately, part of it comes down to the, um, you know, the issues with Liney not being on the top line, you know, him basically honestly saying why, well, you know, I think I'm capable of it and I want that. And, you know, and you want every player to be doing that. Kyle Connor's a lot quieter. But he also, you know, started the season in the NHL originally, went back to the Manitoba Moose, came back, went back to the Moose, and then came up and got plunked on that top line and never really left. Now, listen, people maybe love line A and his story a little bit more. He's a little bit more flamboyant. But, I mean, Kyle Connor was going to score 40 goals last year. And, you know, there's something to be said for that, too. Um, listen, if I'm the general manager, I'm certainly the head coach. I want both of those players to be excelling. I want them to be put in positions to succeed. Um, unfortunately, there's only two guys that can play with Patrick, with Mark Shifley. As long as Blake Wheeler is riding shotgun uh, connected at the hip, it's going to only be one of those two players. So that, I think, is where that Connor versus line A thing comes to. And also trade discussions in, in, in the summer, um, you know, it all revolved around three young forwards. Nick Ehlers, Pat Liney, and Kyle Connor. Not that Connor was really rumored very much, but I think of those guys all three in the same group. And, you know, in sports talk radio and podcasting and these conversations, I mean, it does make a great conversation. Well, if you can only keep two or three, what are you going to do? So, I mean, 
you know, a lot of it is on us. A lot of it is on people throwing things around on social media. But I think the vast majority of Winnipeg Jet fans love both of those players, love watching them. They're worth the price of admission when you go to see them. And they're huge cornerstones in the success or hopeful success of the team going forward. So I don't really look at that way, but I understand how people could maybe get that um, Certainly at some points in the offseason and when all those trade discussions were happening, that came up a little bit. But trust me, when the puck drops and those guys are both wearing Winnipeg Jet jerseys, I think 99% of fans are going to be pulling for both of those guys to help the team go out, put up two points, and move on to the next game. Is the best bottom six for Winnipeg this season, does, does that have Andrew Cobb at third-line center and Adam Lowry at fourth-line center? Oh, that's a great, that is a great question. Um well, here's the thing. Um, I think that if if you have if Mason Appleton gets that spot and plays with Lowry and Cop, uh, I think you could have a really really effective checking line that has the ability to do a little bit more. Maybe getting okay. a little closer to you know the revelation that was that group when all of a sudden Brandon Tanner oh my gosh <laughs> into a player that you know was actually helping the team tilt the ice the right way. Um, I'm a huge Appleton proponent. I mean, I want to see him get more opportunity. I want to see him play significant minutes because I think he has, first of all, he's earned everything that he's been given. This wasn't a player that was, you know, drafted high and they just assumed he's going to come around. No, he's taken it for himself. And I think he deserves to be in that situation. To be honest with you, probably more than Jack Rossovic does. Um, but you know, as far as Andrew Kopp can certainly be a really effective third line center. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I've said for a long time, um, Adam Lowry is a guy that if you're going to put him in that sort of checking role, and if he is your fourth line center, like that, you look down the middle. That's a group that you can win with. That you exactly. Can go up yeah. Against with. So, listen. Best case scenario, absolutely. I guess the question is. If you're if you're not going to do that, and those guys are playing together, who is that fourth line? Matthew Perot's in the mix. Rossovic's there. Yeah. If Appleton's playing with Cop and Lowry, and I guess the big question is: Is Nate Thompson a guy that can play significant minutes? I I don't want to speak too much on Nate Thompson because um, you know, like many players that play over in the East and on other teams, you see them occasionally, but. I certainly haven't done a talk. I'll be very interested to see what he brings to the brings to yeah. the club. Oh, I've seen a lot of Nate Thompson, Huss, <laughs> especially in the playoffs last year. Yeah, and and what's your thought? Can he be a regular and a fourth line roller? Is that a guy that you know you need to lean on when you've got some injuries and you probably have some better options within the organization, even right now if we were going to training camp tomorrow? Yeah, for for me, he's uh, he's he's either an ideal thirteenth or fourteenth forward for your team. I, I don't think you can pencil him in as a fourth liner right out of the gate. I, I just don't think he's capable of it. And he, I mean, he's almost, he's in his mid-30s now. It's not like, you know, he's some 28-year-old guy that's maybe still has a decent amount of hockey left. So yeah. so there's that in it too, right? I And, and on top of that, and look, he's, he's good in his role, which is he'll win a ton of face-offs, which this team can't do, by the way, and he'll kill penalties really well. But he's never going to score for you. And, and that's been a problem in the bottom six for a couple seasons now. I just feel like, and I'll keep, I'll keep making this comparison until somebody listens to me, but to me, if Adam Lowry's your fourth-line center, that's the Winnipeg Jets version of Brian Boyle. And Brian Boyle was a really big part of a lot of talented hockey teams, a lot of teams that went on super deep playoff runs. I love the comparison. When Lowry is at his best, he is you know, playing physically, 
Um, he's dominating in the corners. He's, you know, doing what they did before the TLC. I'll go back to that, which was just living in the other team's end. Mm-hmm. How many scoring chances they're generating? Well, sometimes it'll be a couple. Sometimes it won't <laughs> be a lot. But the bottom line is you give the defense a bit of a break. You give your goaltender a bit of a break and can do that. And, um, you know, and this, and this does, I mean, this is a conversation we've had off air and talked, you know, you know, for the last couple seasons is that, you know, that organizations always seen Lowry, I think, differently than maybe some others. I'll never forget Paul Maurice in, what was it, year two or three, going into camp saying they were talking maybe moving Brian Little to the wing because they thought if Adam Lowry might be able to play up, you know, in the top six. I think we've seen what Adam Lowry is, which is a really effective player that can contribute, but that's not him. And, um, you know, if he... If he got into that role in the fourth line and you had Andrew Kopp there, uh, you know, playing with maybe it's an Appleton and a Roslevic or something mm-hmm. like that, I'd have a hard time making the argument that it doesn't make that bottom six stronger uh, overall. Because I think in a fourth line role, Adam Lowry wouldn't need, you know, a cop or a Tanev type player to be with him on the wings all the time because he himself in those matchups, I think it's a perfect situation for him. So, listen, He's going to be a guy, he probably won't be there for a good portion of the season, but if you get to the playoffs, put it that way, um, and Cobb's been able to center a line and get some chemistry with a couple other guys, it's hard to not look at what you laid out as the best-case scenario for the Winnipeg Jets. All right, man, one last question on the forward core here. Um, do you like role-playing? Ooh, kinky. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a choice. Do you want to be Kevin Dayoff or a rival NHL GM? Uh, you know what? Dealer's choice. Whichever, whichever you want to go with, I'll do the other. All right. I'll be a rival NHL GM, okay? Okay. So, Chevy, I am willing to offer for Jack Roslevic a solid, steady, let's say a number four defenseman, kind of a lower-end second-pair defenseman. That's my offer for Jack Roslevic. Do you take it? How old is he and what's his contract? So, okay, so you're thinking about it at the very least, right? I'm definitely thinking about it. Oh, I'm definitely thinking okay. about it. Listen, you know, in a nutshell, and I think just gets back to the value of Roslevic, um, what he brings to the team in his situation with the Winnipeg Jets right now. Is he in the top six? No. Hey, listen, guys can get hurt. Unfortunately for Roslevic, we have seen him get those opportunities in the past, and he'll have a great game, and then you won't see him for eight games. So, I mean, part of this is on him for not making more of those of those opportunities in the past. I think he's a guy that might benefit from a change of scenery. I just don't know. I mean, many of us think of him as, oh, he's a first-round pick. He's really talented. Well, yeah, there's a lot of guys like yeah. that in the NHL. Mm-hmm. If you could tell me that you're just moving, you're changing that asset of what Rossovic brings to the Winnipeg Jets right now and have a guy that can log some significant minutes adequately in your top four defense, well, I'm definitely listening to it. Huss, this has been an absolute blast, man. Thanks so much for joining us. We're, we're not quite done just yet because this is skates and plates. So real quickly here, we're going to move into the plates portion of the podcast. Let's talk some food, baby. And you're going to make some history by becoming the first contestant for a new game on here. So you ready? Oh, 
let's do this. All right. I, I, we're workshopping some names here. I, I came up with a couple. I was going to throw it out here, but my wife chirped me pretty hard, so now I'm, I'm second-guessing myself. So <laughs> as of now, it's an unnamed game, okay? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still willing to play. All right. Well, I'll ask you just, it's just going to be a series of rapid-fire food questions that have to do with the Jets, the city of Winnipeg, Manitoba, and just some other random stuff, okay? Sounds great. You ready? Here we go. The best concession stand item at Bell MTS Place? Uh, definitely the dead dog. Speaking of dogs, one word to describe people who put ketchup on their hot dogs? Insane. Or children. Yeah, I I thought you were going to say childish for sure. And I just thought of Michael Remus for some reason. But that's neither here nor there. Folks, just just so you know, and you can look this up, the National Hot Dog Council, National Sausage and Hot Dog Council will back me up. Ketchup, okay, (laughs) it's appropriate if you're under 12. But listen, if you're a teenager or older, let's, let's step it up here. Ketchup, not there. Use it for your fries, not your hot dog. I mean, I'm not one to judge any food preferences, but mustard, onions, relish, and I don't think you're going to go wrong any day of the week with that. Listen, you're preaching to the choir here, and I will Amen. say relish. Oh. Uh, to- just such an underrated and slept-on condiment. Totally. I'm a big relish guy on burgers, too. I don't understand why. I mean, you know, you kind of look at it, it's ketchup, mustard, and relish is always the you know, kind of tagging along, it deserves more of a, a spot at the table with ketchup and mustard. Well, ketchup and relish is redundant. That's sweet on sweet. So at that point, why not have like the, the acidic kick of a pickle with the relish? Yeah, well, all you're missing is mayo, and then that's called Big Mac sauce. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, speaking of burgers, your best burger in Winnipeg. Oh, wow. Best burger in Winnipeg. As a guy that loves, that loves burgers, I mean, I go Winnipeg style. If I just want something, to me, it's a toss-up. I grew up as a VJ's guy. Yeah. Our old friend, Joel Marcoux, kind of, you know, enlightening me culturally, got me into St. <laughs> B a little bit more. Okay. And over the last few years, I might, I think I might actually have to give the tip of the half on a 51-49 decision to Dairy Whip over VJ's, Ooh. but I'm happy with I, I think a lot of people would agree with you. I hear a lot about Dairy Whip, especially during we had Burger Week a little while ago. I can get well, down with that. The thing is, Burger Week's great, and it's all these restaurants that get to show off, you know, maybe their their food and you know their restaurants to to people in in normal circumstances. I mean, it's just amazing for promotion of of the restaurants. It is interesting though because all of those burgers that are made, it's fun to do for a week, but they're not something that you know yeah. you're, all, you're always always getting. I mean. As someone that would probably have, this is embarrassing, but between five to six burgers on an average week, <laughs> you got <laughs> to be moving around and getting to the uh, to, to the usual. So when I, you know, when I go with you know Jerry with PJs, that's a Saturday afternoon, a Thursday night, whatever those sort of things. However, I am also one that uh, you know loves to uh, pop into a nice restaurant and still order a burger. One last burger-related one before we move on to the other questions. Out of all the chains, what's your number one fast food order? Oh, okay. Listen, this is, I could give you a full power poll on this. <laughs> we don't have enough time. Um, and this is people that listen to the warm-up will know this because Remus oh. and I will often end up coming back to this topic on it. But <laughs> to me, if we are lining up all of the fast food, at least the ones that we have around here, you know, it starts with Wendy's and then there's like a big gap. 
like I, I don't. I would have a tough time even giving you a solid number two because I could give you an argument for a bunch of them. But Wendy's to me clearly above. And by the way, if you're listening to this, like you know, in the next week or so, the most elite of all oh, the fast food burgers is back. The bacon mushroom melt. I've already had a few. It's still amazing, and the drive-thrus open till twelve in the week. Huss, that that burger was literally my childhood. My like my mom when it came out, my mom would drive me, and this was back when the there was a Wendy's on Henderson back in the day. Like it was like the second it came out, like a couple. What what do they call them? The BPMM now. A couple of yeah. those for each, for every Wiki, and then like that. That's the that was like a, a big day. We made a day out of it. I still, and I mean, you've been at TSN for a while, too. I mean, one of the saddest days in our station's history oh. is when they shut the doors on the Wendy's on Pemina. And I, and I don't understand. I really don't understand how it is not there, how they haven't put another one up. And I guess, you know, we've got one kind of over Keniston, one in St. Patel, but uh, it's really, it's sad that it's not there. It's a lot more work to get it, but it's still worth the drive. And, uh, and you know what? This isn't really a burger thing, but it's still within the fast food realm. If, if, wherever you're listening to this, if you've got a drink in your hand, just pour a little one out because we've lost Arby's in Winnipeg. Oh, the final Arby's, R.I.P. Own Place Mall has uh, has closed, and um, I don't know. You know what? There's a lot of things our city needs, but if someone wouldn't mind bringing back an Arby's. <laughs> I'll be in the drive through line as yeah. soon as it opens. <laughs> Huss wants the meats. Um, <laughs> couple more to close out here. It's Turkey Day down south pretty soon. What's the goat's holiday food item, and why is it stuffing? Well, you know, I was just about to say, I mean, obviously, turkey, you know, you've got to start with the turkey. But, I mean, if we're talking things with turkey... Stuffing, and you know what? I have no idea even what is in stuffing. Like I, I know there's croutons or breadcrumbs. Yeah, like bread. That. I have no idea anything else that's in it. But my God, the combination of that with the turkey or mashed potatoes—it um, really doesn't get any better than that. And you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm a big uh, love niblet corn. Um, in in all of life, my gr- the great greatest side item to me is not really something that goes with Thanksgiving, but I would have it too, and that's garlic toast. Oh my um, gosh, yes. But if we break it down to it, I mean, stuffing, again, don't know what's in it, don't know how you make it, but if it's in front of me, it is getting attacked. Uh, so we can do, uh, we're going to have to set up like a two-hour dissertation piece on why stuffing is the greatest food known to mankind. And finally, it's game one of the jet season. Calories and dollars will not count for game one. Oh, yeah. What is on your ideal game day menu to kick off next season? No, is this at home? Or this is at, yeah, this is at home. Let's say the, the curtains are shut. Nobody's watching you. You're in your element. Well, uh, you know what? We're definitely going to get some wings. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. I will probably <laughs> do a sev run beforehand, and I'll get a super big gulp. I maybe will get, like, the big, the, the Reese's Big Cup with the Reese's Pieces in it. I haven't tried that. Are those good? Oh, my God. Listen, I could give you another half hour yes. on that item. It is, a, it is. Try it. If you're a peanut butter cup guy, yes. it's like the next level. Oh, thank God. Um, the one with the Reese's Pieces in it. God, they're so good. So I would have that kicking around when <laughs> needed it. I'd probably order maybe a pound and a half or a couple pounds of wings, probably from Finn's. And then I would order in advance 
a pepperoni and sausage from Tommy's Pizzeria on Corden. Um, if you've not seen this, I won't go through the whole thing. Apparently, world championship pizza maker from the Trans Canada Brewery. They took over the building at the corner of Corden and Lilac, which is in our neck of the woods. And uh, it's some of the best pizza I have ever had. Uh, hashtag not spawn. Just a big, big fan of it. So, um, if we're going to do something good, and I'm a huge pizza guy, I've got time for all of it, but if I'm having one, I'm grabbing one of theirs from Tommy's and crushing it and wings, and then uh, we'll get to that peanut butter cup at some point, hopefully in victory. That is a high-end game day menu, and I we need to give a shout-out to Tommy's. And Look, I, I've been to Italy, and Tommy's pizza stacks up with the best anywhere. So hopefully, I really look forward. I think at some point we're going to get somebody from Tommy's to join us. But if you haven't tried it and you're a big, like you said, a big pizza guy, you have to get a slice of Tommy's. Yeah, as much as I mention how much I eat in the burger category, pizzas, maybe more than that, just because of the ease and how great it is. And listen, I, there's not a bad pizza out there. You put a pizza in front of me, I'm eating it, I'm happy. <laughs> Um, but with all of those options, and I mean, listen, you live on quarter and we've got Santa Lucia down the way. There's a bunch of great options and I've got time for all of it, but I have to admit, um, what they, whether it's the recipe, the ovens that they have, the experience, the topping, it is, I was so blown away, uh, by how good it was the first time that, you know, often when I want a really good pizza, I will go there, but, um, as I said, there's there's plenty of options in Winnipeg. That's one great thing. Our restaurants are phenomenal. we got to keep supporting them through COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, look, thanks so much for joining me on on the, the maiden voyage, I guess, of skates and plates. It was an absolute blast. You, you totally killed it. And again... Speaking from everybody here in the province, we just we can't wait to hear you again on the radio, and we know it's coming soon. Super excited, but again, thanks for joining me. Dude, I will be back soon on the air, and I hope to be back soon with you on this. This is a heck of a lot of fun, and uh, we always have such great conversations, but because of our schedule yeah. <laughs> with the morning and afternoon, we don't do it enough. So uh, you got my number. I'm available anytime, and uh, this is just a great thing. We need more good Jets content from people in the know like you, and uh, if we can add in some great food content as well, well, you know I'm always down for that. Right on, man. Thanks so much. Hey, it was my pleasure. Man, what a beauty. Thanks again to Hustler for taking the time to join me here, and that just about does it on episode one. I hope you guys liked it. I, <laughs> you know, I was I was going to say I hope it went as well for you as it did for me, but I didn't want to sound like a, you know, like a teenager on his his first night, his special first night. I mean, because God knows that's a disaster for pretty much everyone. So let's try, let's just strike that from the record. I hope you guys had a bunch of fun. We're going to have more fun as we move along here. Just to tee up what's up for Friday's episode, I want to start with your reactions and your comments on my rankings of the Jets forward core at number nine in the NHL, as well as what I said about Shifley, Line 8, Lowry. We'll get into the rest of the group on Friday. Hit me up with any questions or ideas you guys have, and I'll make sure to touch on every single one of them, I promise. Again, on Twitter, at Brandon underscore Verwicki. I'm also really excited to bring on the first of what is going to be many people involved in the food scene here in Winnipeg, and that's Mike Del Buono. He's the owner of King and Bannatine, the little sandwich shop on the corner in the exchange. I mean, the best sandwiches in the city. They're absolutely outstanding. He has an unbelievable story and a connection with the Winnipeg Jets as well, actually. The first time 
He met Dustin Bufflin in his sandwich shop. I remember coming out from the back and Buff's just sitting. He's standing in line. He's the only one in there. He's wearing a suit. So they clearly they just came from practice. I'm like, oh, Buff's here. Yeah, that's uh, sweet. Awesome. You're up. Get out there. And before I even open my mouth, in comes Wheeler. We'll dive into that and what goes into the perfect sandwich as well as how to make the perfect brisket. So I'm super jacked up about that. And that's it. That's it here. So until then, thanks for tuning in to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Brandon Rowicki. We'll talk to you on Friday. Peace.